Welcome to LPA Presents. I'm your host, Matthew Rhodes, here today with Anthony Pesh, a camera operator in the film industry. He's also a Twitch streamer under the tag Anarxix. I recommend catching his channel if you watch Twitch. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'd like to ask you a list of questions to give hopefuls a glimpse into the film industry. I'll try to reply to your answers as needed with time permitting. I can't wait to hear your answers. What inspired you to become a camera operator? Well, I'm actually a camera assistant. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. so I work as a first AC, a camera assistant. Um, but I did start off actually being more of a camera operator in like in college, director of photography to be exact. I started as a, going way back, I started as a photographer to gain my eye, to work on my eye. I started with a Canon EOS 20D and I would just pick up small gigs here and there with my friend. And um, at some point, professors started seeing what I was doing. And even my professors in college, started, they started giving me gigs as well. Um, but yeah, I was just hungry. <laughs> you just, you got to be hungry, right? Um, yeah. I mean, the second I picked up a camera, when I went to, uh, I mean, gosh, it's going to like build a whole backstory. But when I first went to college, I didn't even know I wanted to be a filmmaker. I actually went to college wanting to be a forensic anthropologist oh. only to yeah only to later find out it was more of a hobby than a profession but mm. sometimes sometimes that happens right you try something out and then you're like uh, okay i don't want to do this for the rest of my life i don't want to get paid to do this um so i went undeclared for a whole year took a cinema studies course fell in love with cinema but it took older movies for me to fall in love with cinema. Mm -hmm. Like I think at the time Transformers 1, the very first Transformers movie came out. That's how old I am. Um, but yeah, so the first Transformers came out. I remember I was in my dorm room. I was, I'm a gamer, obviously. Um, but yeah, I picked up a camera and I'll never forget that feeling of picking up a camera and just shooting photos. It started something so simple. And then it just grew from there. I, I wasn't one of those who was born with a camera in my hands. Like some mm -hmm. people in the film industry are like, hey, I come out and I knew I was a filmmaker. A lot of people were like five or six, like shooting home movies like a Spielberg or something. But no, I found out later on in life picking up a camera that that's the medium. That was the format that I wanted to express myself through. And so I started as a photographer, gaining my eye, like working mm -hmm. on my composition, working on my style and then i get a canon t3i back when it was when it came out i think we're on a canon t8 or t9i now or something crazy mm -hmm. uh, so i was shooting all my friends shorts all their projects in um in college they would pay me in monster energy drinks <laughs> uh <laughs> so i would just shoot 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 i got addicted i was like i just want to i went on amazon i purchased cheap softbox lights like i just had my Canon camera. I just want to shoot this. I want to shoot that. I want to shoot horror. I want to shoot drama. I want to shoot all these different types of genres and see how, you know, people would express themselves. And I love drama. Like mm -hmm. I love like a lot of actors, how they would just draw out their performance. So yeah, it just got addicting over time. And I just want to work on how could I shoot this? What angle could I shoot this from? Like they're over there crying. Like, should I do like a lower angle, like looking up at them? Like, should I backlight them? Like, I just wanted to try out all these different things. And then pushing forward, um, then I started getting more into short films after the fact, even after I graduated 
once I felt like I graduated from college, I feel like the real work actually started. There was like no work there. A lot of people come out of college and they think there's going to be a job. No, no, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it didn't take until I worked at a rental uh, shop called Midwest Grip and Lighting in Cincinnati, Ohio. Once I started working there, that's where I started meeting people actually in the industry. I actually started getting onto real sets. Um, before then it feels like I was more of like a videographer just shooting movies until I actually was around real working lights, like actual equipment used for real, like higher budgeted, you know, movies. Mm -hmm. So it was like a softbox lights from a uh, softbox light box light from Amazon is one thing, but working with like a Cineo or like, um, Mole Richardson or just any of those name brands that you would run into with lights that you actually find on set. And then as a director of photography, like this was the gear that I had to be around, you know? So a Fisher Dana Dolly, like um, Dana Dolly, ooh, Fisher Dolly, ooh, whoops. Because uh, <laughs> there's a Dana Dolly, which we use all the time now. So I feel like it goes hand in hand. But no, the Fisher Dolly, uh, the Dana Dolly, which the Dana Dolly is like everywhere. Um, but like more of an, uh, you know, being around gear that you would find actually on a movie set when you're more around that gear and you can see actually like the utilization of all this equipment and how they use it on set, then your mind can start wrapping around how do they actually make like a high budget movie? You know, I started like I was a production assistant on all these movies, uh, before I moved to LA which I'm currently at right now, working as a first AC and like I worked as a PA and that's what you just need to do. Work as a PA, meet people, see their faces, especially when you're in a smaller town, mm -hmm. you're working around these people where they just get to see your face and you get to know them. So without going on too much of a tangent. Yeah, because I could talk and talk, 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 talk. But yeah, so being a first AC in LA, there is so much that has led me to where I'm at right now. Yeah. Though, going back to the whole college thing, I don't think a lot of people uh, realize they want to get into the industry unless they're going to someplace like Juilliard. Like, mm. for me, um, I didn't get into screenwriting or anything uh, in college until I ran into the film club. Mm, yeah. What do you like most about your job and what are the key skills required to be successful? Uh, what I love about my job as specifically as a first AC, because like everything comes down to specifics, especially in their role. Um, and I feel like that's necessary to also say like a first AC, there's a second AC, not really a third AC, just to clear that up. So it's mm -hmm. like, what is a, you know, an AC is a camera assistant, obviously. So you have your director of photography, your DP um, or DOP. Uh, camera operator, uh, camera assistant, and then sometimes there is a camera PA, that one person who's there technically for like college credit. Mm -hmm. um, but what I love about my job as a first AC um, is it's stressful, but out of that stress is it's quite rewarding. So I do this thing called pulling focus, mm -hmm. um, which we in the States do it separately and differently from like around the world, like um, in Europe, you know, I don't have much experience with this because I haven't worked in Europe yet, but apparently in Europe, they have a focus puller, like a dedicated person who pulls focus. So what pulling focus is, what I mean by that is in today's world with technology, 
because um, back in the day when you pulled focus, the camera assistant was on the AC side of the camera, which is the right side. The mm -hmm. camera operator is on the left side of the camera. So whenever executing and pulling off of a shot, um, camera operator is always on the left side. He's executing the shot. He's looking through the eye hole uh, or the eyepiece EVF, um, and he's the one executing the shot. He's dialing in the exposure. Um, the director of photography on a perfect day can be sitting back in a chair in front of a, a flanders or whatever monitor um, that's color accurate, deciding on the shots, everything preconceived and pre-production. Um, so on a, you know, on a perfect day, on a perfect shoot, this doesn't ever, you know, it happens at a certain degree of production that you're on, but like <clears> when you're on working on like non, like, um, like on a non-union set, <clears> it <throat> doesn't work like this, especially with, um, everything is so digital. So usually it's, I'm wireless now, currently most of the jobs I work, I have my own monitor. It has a wireless video system where I'm getting a feed from the camera by putting a device on the camera that gives me um, video feed that's wireless. And I'll send that out to my monitor. I'll send that out to client monitor. Well, my second AC usually sends it out. They're in charge of video village is what it's called, where the director and everyone else is at video village. I get separated on a perfect day. I get separated from video village and I have my own monitor that I get to dial in my own settings for peaking, for doing black and white, so edges pop out more. And I have this device in my hands um, that has a dial and I can move the focus on the lens of the camera wirelessly. So I'll attach a motor and the motor moves whenever I move this dial and that motor will move and move the gear, uh, the focus gear of the lens. And then I have my video feed and I will adjust the settings or some people go old school and it's stylistic, it's preference. It pisses some people off because technology is pushing so forward nowadays and people are like, ah, like the technology. But that's just how it is, especially with the speed at a, like a lot of non-union productions move. We rely on the technology to move even faster. You know, mm -hmm. back in the day with film stock, you couldn't do what we do digitally, you know, digital people shoot a feature film. I've worked on productions, unfortunately, where a, a whole feature film has been shot in a few days, a few days, you know, that's just where we're at today. Um, a lot of it, just these decisions being made because of budget, because of money, but ultimately staying on track. What I love about my job, <laughs> I feel like there's all these things I need to explain because if I say the other stuff, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but what I love about my job, I love focus pulling because I feel like that is the moment I get to show off. I worked on, I'll never forget a production, a movie that I worked on, which was a horror film in a cave. And we worked on it for, I think, two weeks. Feature film, two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, they already shot some stuff for the movie before. They waited a year. They brought in a real camera, an Ari Alexa, which is one of my go-to cameras. I love the Ari Alexa. Um, which shoots most Oscar award-winning movies that, uh, the Panavision, not really red. Red is a great camera, not going to knock it. It, ha it has this place. Um, but yeah, my favorite is the Ari Alexa and Panavision Millennium DXL. Um, but yeah, so the Ari Alexa in a cave horror film, two weeks overnights pulling at a T 1.2, which if people once again, don't know, uh, my focus wall is about that much. So if an actor moves at all, 
I, I'm literally, I have to be on it. You know, that dial is moving because the second the actor falls out of focus, well, that's the shot, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're in a cave. It's a horror film. Actors are running. Um, so I'm keeping them in focus in a wall of that much. The director waited until the end of the movie to tell me that they had to fire the first first AC that they had because he couldn't keep anything in focus. Hmm. I wonder why, <laughs> you know, like dealing with a focus wall that much. So that's what I love about my job is being a first AC. Some people say that's one of the most stressful jobs on set that mm. the first AD, the first AD is probably the most stressful position on set because uh, they deal with everything They're, You know, they keep everything on track, all that stuff. They, the average lifespan of a first AD is I heard up to their fifties, sixties. That's how stressful the job is. Oh, wow. Yeah. So their life expect <laughs> life expectancy is not so high because, uh, they stress, stress is part of the job. Uh, stress is a part of my job, much more manageable, but yeah, depending on who you work with, I'd be terrified to pull focus on a Tarantino or a Christopher Nolan movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause literally if there, if it's one shot and you biff it, that's probably your last day, you know? Yeah. So if you screw up the shot because you, one little moment is out of focus, well, no, they want the best of the best and you're not it. So yeah. So it takes a lot of you know, muscle memory, learning the cameras, learning the lenses, the glass, what glass, you know, when I say glass, the lens, mm -hmm. um, there's cooks, there's, there's, yeah, there's a variety of different lenses. Um, some are sharper than others. Some are not so sharp. Like cooks are my favorite, but cooks are, are they're a softer glass because they have what's called the cook look. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is the mechanics inside. Um, it's the glass itself. Uh, they have a coating on the glass that kind of offers a softer look, but mm, the Ari Alexa with a cook, it's just gorgeous. Um, but yeah, that's what I love about my job as a first AC. It's stressful. I get to show off with my focus pulling skills that, you know, me with my hand-eye coordination and people laugh whenever I say it, they're like, how, like, what did you do to get better with focus pulling? Hand-eye coordination. I've played a lot of video games in my past, you know, <laughs> like I'm being yeah. honest, like hand-eye coordination, you work on that, you look at something, your eyes meet something, your hands are like, you know, doing something else where you're just like, you're building on that hand-eye coordination. Um, then the camera side, you have to get an understanding of distance, the distance of the actor from the camera, the sensor to be very specific. Yeah. Um, back in the day and whenever I'm given the chance nowadays, I like to measure out. So if there's a hook, there's usually a hook on a camera and you attach your uh, your tape to that hook and then you bring it out to the actor's eyes because you're always pulling focus to the actor's eyes. Mm -hmm. you, like, you know, you have focus perfect when you get a glimmer in their pupils. When you see a glimmer in their pupils when they're in front of the camera, you know, you're spot on. And now you just have to maintain that glimmer. As long as you have that glimmer whenever you can see their pupils, you know, you're spot on and they're perfectly in focus. You don't want back focus. You don't want front focus. You don't want their nose to be in focus. You don't want the back of their head to be in focus. You want their eyes to be in focus. And that's not always, you know, the situation in a movie. You may have to play with it like someone who's tripping on drugs. Mm -hmm. I'll have a director be like, play with it, play with the focus. You know, <laughs> the guy is, you know, he's a he's an alcoholic. He's on drugs. He's in the bathroom. He's kind of tripping. I'm playing with the focus. I'm making the focus go in and out. This guy is going through a trip and I want the audience to go 
with him through the trip, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm playing with the focus. I'm throwing it in and out. I'm doing some cool stuff. So those are my favorite shots. Then mm -hmm. I get to make a lot of decisions and have fun with it, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, ultimately, to keep it short, which I'm not, uh, that's what I love about my job. I have a camera cart. I get to, I have my own camera cart. I get to have the gear on it. I'm OCD. I have everything a specific way. Like the, being a first AC is everything I love about working on set. And then, yeah, being a director of photography, I, I used to love doing it. I've shot two feature films my entire life properly so far. But the only thing I don't enjoy about is the politics, because unfortunately, with being a DP, a director of photography, being the head of camera department, you know, you're not just camera department. I love being a first AC because I'm pretty much for the most part, unless I'm asking for a clamp from G&E, Grip and Electric, I'm just camera department, which I love. Mm -hmm. So period. How do you prepare for a shoot and what kind of technology do you use on set? Ooh, uh, how do I prepare? Um, so usually when I'm lucky, once again, depending on the production, um, they'll give me a prep day or two mm -hmm. prep days if I'm lucky, uh, where I get to be at a prep house and just like chill at prep house with all the equipment that we're renting from usually. And I get to take my time with charts. I get to check accuracy for both color, for focus, for all of it. I get to take my time with the gear that we're working with on set. So I, I like to play music. I like to have a nice chill environment where I just check everything. Um, I double check, triple check, uh, depending on my boss, the director of photography. I'll talk with them and be like, video codec, resolution, all this. Are we switching in the middle of the shoot? Are we, you know, any, are any of the specs changing? Um, so I can take note of that. Um, just accuracy. Everything is about accuracy. You know, what are they looking for? Is the shoot more stylistic? Is it more just relying on the technology of the camera? Um, any special notes, any of that. So are we doing more steady cam? Are we doing, are we on sticks? Sticks being, you know, tripod, like all this, all this factors into me checking everything. Are we on handheld? When I think handheld, everything has to be locked down and tight. You know, camera operator could be moving around. He could be on the back of a truck. It's like everything has to be tight. If everything is not tight, um, that camera could go flying. Yeah. You know, so all these small, intricate details, you have to keep you have to slow down because it's easy to rush into things, especially when that person's talking, that person's talking. But at the end of the day, you have to hop into your own mind. You have to have a checklist in your mind and go down that checklist and everything has to check off. Because if anything goes wrong, you know, that's mm -hmm. on you, you know, especially as a first AC, you know, it's not the second AC, it's not the camera operator. It's when something goes wrong and you can, you know, it's you, it's like, oh crap, that wasn't locked down properly. Well, that's me. And the best thing you should do is own it. Just yeah. be like, that's me. I did that. I'm going to own it. Guess who's not doing that tomorrow. So yeah, because right. you're going to fail. That's also right. something I have to say, too. You're going to fail. Um, you just have to be ready for that failure. It's not if, it's when. So be ready right. for that failure, taking ownership, learning from it. You'll get hired again if you can learn from it. You won't get hired again if you don't learn from it. Right. Yeah. And then, sorry, what was the second part of that question? What kind of technology do you use on, sh on set? So, yeah, and then that depends on the production. So it depends on budget. 
um, some things I worked on is DSLR. You know, we're shooting a whole feature on a DSLR and I'm trying to be a first AC mm. for a DSLR, which is actually kind of tough sometimes. It's like, how can I offer assistance to my cam op when, you know, it's a DSLR. When I'm working with a proper cinema camera, you know, an Ari Alexa or even a Red or a Panavision, um, it makes more sense to me because that's what I've trained myself for in a mindset. But also you can't make an excuse where it's like, well, it's a DSLR. So I'm just going to be around. But it's like also be that's an opportunity to be innovative. How can mm -hmm. I be a first AC for a DSLR? How can I feel like people can still point at me and be like, that guy is professional as hell. He's still like being a first AC near a DSLR. It's like, well, I'm going to be AC side. I'm going to be paying attention to uh, proper verbal communication between me and the camera operator, whoever is operating. Be like, mm -hmm. what do you need? Do you feel comfortable? All this other stuff without over verbalizing, of course, because at the end of the day, they need, to, they need to do their job as well. So it depends on budget. It depends on a lot of things. Um, I don't want to say non-union and union, but at times I want to say non-union and union because on union, I mean, I feel like I'm taken care of much more often. Mm -hmm. On non-union, you're kind of set free and, you know, they let you do your own thing and they're just, yeah, you know your job. But, uh, yeah, I would say that's pretty much it. Okay. How do you approach lighting and composition and what techniques do you use to create a scene's desired atmosphere or mood? Um, of course, as the AC, that's not really my job, but um, whenever I am put into that position, um, comes down specifically to are we doing noir are we doing horror a lot like i do whenever i do take on a position as a director of photography on a feature short something i love atmospheric i love creating a world i do kind of pull off a spielberg spielberg really does enjoy having like moisture in the air mm -hmm. so he'll have like a fog machine or something like that like et or something where it's just kind of hazy i love yeah. atmosphere especially like lens flares, love lens flares. Um, yeah, atmosphere is definitely one for me. I don't like keeping it clean. I like texture. I really do like texture. Um, so, and I love depth. I love adding to the foreground, the middle ground, the background, the more, not having it too busy where it's kind of like, okay, I don't even know where the subject is at. <laughs> I don't even know where, what, where are my eyes supposed to be going? <laughs> um, but that's also where we have techniques in the film industry where I, I like to use lines. I'm a big fan of lines as well. Uh, when I say that it's like having a hallway, the best example is having a hallway, uh, having an, a camera aim right down the hallway. It's a long hallway. And at the very end of the hallway is a person. Now, the natural lines that you see of the hallway are going to point your eyes to the, to the center without you even knowing it. That's mm -hmm. subconsciously, as a cinematographer, I'm having your eyes as the audience member looking down the hallway because the lines from the four lines uh, from the corner, that corner, this corner, and that corner, they are centering to the center. You know, they draw your eyes into the center. So, you know, Kubrick did this. Kubrick did this nonstop uh wes anderson wes anderson uses a ton of lines so i'm a huge atmosphere and a line guy so i say that's stylistically my choice as for lighting um i like to keep it i like minimum sources i don't like over lighting i <laughs> want to i want to avoid over lighting as much as possible 
not to mention if you overlight, you're taking the chance of having a flat image. Right. So I like having like maybe two lights, honestly, like, you know, kind of cut the face in half, some shadows on this side, you know, light on this side. I, I like that. I like the contrast. So I would say stylistically, that's more of the direction I, I pull in. What suggestions do you have for optimizing post-production workflow? Plan, 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 plan. And when I say plan, though, keep it off production, though. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> there's too many productions I work on where I feel like, actually, the movie that I just worked on that we wrapped up, uh, which, you know, I'm not naming names. So I get I get to actually say it was a horrible production because um, it was just, it lacked planning. It was a non-union, of course. Mm -hmm. Um and they were making decisions on set, which is not bad. I'm not saying you can't. Um, it's preference wise, right? Like if they really wanted to and they had the money, they could plan all that they want on production. They just shouldn't abuse it, especially while we're rolling. Uh, there's too many productions I work on where we lack the discipline. I will. They lack the discipline. I don't. Um, while we're rolling, mm -hmm. I've had directors make decisions while we're rolling. So back in the day, you couldn't do that, right? You're shooting on film. Every foot matters. So back in the day, while the camera is rolling, you're shooting. We're mm -hmm. executing the shot. And when you're cutting, you're cutting it as soon as you can because you right. don't want to waste the film right? at all. So I wish I was a part of that era of filmmaking because mm -hmm. filmmakers actually had discipline. Yeah. Now that we're in the digital age, there's so much like there's a lack of discipline because there's so much waste of footage. Right. Because we're relying on the digital format. The fact that it's digital, it's a card, right? We have all the cards in the world, so we can just keep rolling, right? Well, if you want your editor to hate you, yeah, of course. <laughs> but so what you can better do to prepare for post-production is plan, plan, mm -hmm. plan, plan. Pre-production, squeeze it like a lemon. Use all that you can in pre-production. Plan it to the T. Yeah. And if things change, they change. You have to learn to adapt. Things are always bound. Something is going to change, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you don't have the budget. Especially when you can't pay for the control. When you're not shooting in a studio. If you're shooting on location, you're going to deal with change. So in pre-production, squeeze it like a lemon. Like utilize pre-production. Plan everything. Um, my second feature film, my last feature film that I shot as a director of photography, I impressed the director. I gave him a packet this thick of a shot list. Oh, wow. I planned everything to a T. Everything. Um, I got mad at him because he changed one of the scenes on me. He changed the blocking. I got <laughs> pissed. I got so pissed. He didn't tell me until like we were about to shoot it. I got so mad at him. But, you know, then I had to communicate to him where it was like, well, you didn't talk with me. Like I'm yeah. your, I'm your DP. You're the director. I kind of need to know this, you know, <laughs> what you just did changed the blocking, how I shoot the entire scene that could affect the emotion that could, that's going to affect my lighting. That's going to affect everything. So that comes down to planning down to a T the packet yeah. that I gave him was this thick. If any DP needs to hear that plan, like think of all the basics of your job as a director of photography, not just the camera. Yeah. I feel like a lot of DPs, Nowadays, they just think about the camera too much. It's way yeah. too much about the camera. They need to think about the lighting, the blocking, the positioning of your actors is huge. 
especially when you're trying to portray a certain emotion and where the camera is going to be like over the shoulder. Is it going to be slightly lower? Like all of that really reflects the emotion in the scene. So put thought into this. Take your time with it. Don't rush it. Especially all this reflects your work. If you really want to get recognized for your work, plan it down to the detail. So I would say, yeah, production is a huge deal when it comes with to post, but how you can really help yourself in post-production, squeeze the lemon in pre-production. And then whatever happens in production, adapt. Things are going to change, especially when you're shooting on location, which is more than likely. Um, yeah, I mean, everything comes down to pre-production. I feel like th this day and age, people don't utilize pre-production as much as they should. Yeah. So if you really, really utilize pre-production, production shouldn't be too much of a surprise. And then you hop into post-production and all the technical specs should be there. Everything that you planned all the way back going into pre-production, it should be no surprise going into post-production. And then you're just having a sit-down talk with your editor and even their assistant and going through everything and you know that proper communication and also to production you know to producers involve your director of photography in post-production in second uh, on my on the second feature film that i shot i feel like they didn't utilize me at all in post-production and then the movie came out they colored it and it looks god awful it looks bad because they did not fully utilize me as a director of photography in the entire process of the entire film. Like when you're coloring it, you should probably talk to me because I shot it in a certain way that I know how you should color it in post. They didn't include me in on it. I look at it and it looks like trash. So, yeah. Okay. You'll have to forgive me. I'm as you're answering certain questions, I'm deleting them off my list. Mm -hmm. I'll take your time. So, how do you manage workflow of multiple camera operators on a film set and what safety protocols do you follow? Um, so once again, a lot of it going back into pre-production, um, although I would say a lot of productions having multiple cam ops, um, at least from my experiences, they like to switch them out sometimes, uh, especially like, um, you know, some cam ops would be day players and they're all friends. They all know each other. The film industry is actually a lot smaller of a world than people think. Um, but when it comes down to that pre-production, know who's operating, know who's shooting, everyone who gets along, the DP being like, I've worked with so-and-sos. Everything is very, this is where I would like to talk about and touch on the sociology behind the film industry, where everyone networks, everyone knows each other. I've gotten jobs because I've had a beer with a producer. No mm -hmm. joke. Like the film industry is not at all what some people think, where you go up and you show your resume and you're like applying for a job. It's not that at all. Like I've yeah. been, I don't want to do it now, but like in my 20s, I've gotten drunk with a producer. You know, he's he's from the Midwest. He's from Pittsburgh. And it's like, oh, like you come from that town. I come from Cincinnati, a very Germanic town. There's a like a whole kind of weird sociological etiquette that kind of goes into this sometimes where it's like, hey, let's talk over beers. And before you, before you know it, you have a producer buying you shots, you know, but like literally the sociology, that's just an example. There's so many different ways people meet each other in the film industry. But people hire their friends, you know, that's the biggest thing. So if you have multiple camera operators, not just saying like, you know, they're pulling from IATSE from local 600 where, oh, here's the roster and here's all these cam ops you can pull from. 
that's the professional way. And then there's also the sociological way where like, bro, like me and him go way back. I've been shooting movies. I was cam up. He was a cam up. We used to shoot next to each other all the time. And now I'm a DP. I'm going to hire my friends. I'm going to bring on this cam up that cam up. So a lot of it comes down to the natural communication that they have over years, you know, <laughs> them being friends. That's the one side of things there. I would say there's also the director of photography who hires on professionally, not to say the other one isn't professional, but going through the roster is something a DP hiring through the roster and being like, hey, here's a cam up I don't know, but they know the same lingo. They know the same terminology. They know the same etiquette. Um, I believe it's the cam ops job to kind of gain an understanding of the DP style, mm -hmm. how he likes to shoot things, his composition, trying he tries to replicate that because you don't want you know, depending on the shoot, I would like I would say consistency is the most popular way to go. So all the cam ops are probably going to be communicating one another, most likely um, gaining an understanding of like you're pushing more left, right? You're pushing the subject more left um, when you and also when you have multiple like a lot of camera operators, it's more mm -hmm. like more more than likely on a broadcast kind of shoot or a sports kind of shoot versus more of like film narrative cinema. Uh, when you're shooting cinema, from my experience, you know, being at the level I'm at right now, two cam ops, maybe three, you know, a camera, B camera, C camera. Yeah. Um, but all of them are talking. All of them are most likely on a microphone that's hot. They're talking to each one another. They're gaining an understanding like, you know, you're getting this shot like the director of photography will most likely hop on the microphone as well um, and be like, you know, I want a tight on this guy you like see camera get the wide um sometimes even a lot of the cameras are kind of disposable see camera is like getting what he he's getting what he he can get mm -hmm. but sometimes the other camera operator is in his shot <laughs> so it's like a camera and b camera they're getting their shots because they're the cameras that matter right right like if especially if it's a scene where it's very intense like it it's a tight if it's in a very intense shot or a scene, you're most likely likely not getting the wide. You're getting the wide because you want it as an option, but you know more more than likely that's not the shot you're going to use. Right. So A and B they matter. C C is getting what he he's getting what he can get. Right. So mm -hmm. I've been first AC for C camera. He's just trying to get in there and trying to get the shot. He's just like I'm trying to get something that's usable. Right. So I'm gonna try getting a wide without getting the other camera operators in there, which is going to be tricky, you know, it's going to be tricky. And if I can't use it, I'm just going to aim the camera down because I can't offer you a usable shot. And if anything, I don't want to be rolling at all because I don't, I don't want to be wasting footage, even though they, we have every card in the world. So mm -hmm. that's what I would say when there's multiple cam ops on set, that's kind of the communication that's happening. What challenges have you faced when working with large crews and how do you handle unexpected challenges on set? Uh, when dealing with large crews, I kind of enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I enjoy being a first AC ahead of a crew and having like going back to the horror shoot, the horror movie that I was in a cave. Somehow I had like three ACs working underneath me. So that was pretty cool because it was more hands on deck. I actually got to be like, well, you can work on video village like that's your thing, you know? <laughs> so like I can split it up where it's like a second AC's job. I can kind of chop it up and be like, well, you can just worry about the client, you know, client being director like 
you can worry about video village you can make sure that they're comfortable and make sure that that's always like on point you can make sure video village is always there ready for the director to have an image always have image up so he can see at first glance asap and make you know the director can look at a monitor because you got to keep these things in mind right a director can see the image and wants to change something the sooner you can give the director that image you're serving him as soon as possible where like because so much time is wasted on set because someone is slightly behind or you know hurry up and wait we're waiting on lighting we're waiting on g and e the goal is to never have people waiting on you. You don't yeah. want to be the department that people are waiting on. Every now and then, very rarely, we're waiting on camera department. Most of the time, we're waiting on lighting. You know, it doesn't, it's not quick to set up lighting, to set up a joker, to, you know, have a condor go up 100 feet in the air, shining down light on a movie set and stuff like that. Like, that stuff takes time to move around. So most yeah. of the time, we're waiting on G&E. But yeah, I love having multiple ACs when I can, because then I can just pretty much what I do. My style is just chop up second AC positions and be like, you're video village. You're this. You're honestly saying staying near my camera cart. So as soon as that camera comes over and drops off at my camera cart, you are assisting me on doing whatever we need to swapping lenses, doing whatever we need to on this camera and giving it to the camera operator super fast, right quick, right? Because we want to be on it. And also every job I work, I'm here to impress. Yeah, that, I feel like that's the best man mentality to have, especially as a first AC, is be there to impress. Not like, and when I say that, don't come in with a hardcore ego. Go in there where it's like, you are just killing it. You're on the spot. You are handing off that camera. That camera is ready to go. We're ready to get the shot. The, we're swapping from a 35 to a 50 to a 75, just... Be on it. Be ready for that call. I am always asking for notes. Notes is when um, you know you know you're swapping a lens or you're swapping from handheld to steady. You're always listening, not necessarily asking. You're listening intently for notes. Like I'm always, if I'm not doing anything, I'm staying close and listening to what my bosses are talking about. Mm -hmm. Then I can think ahead. So if they're talking about a tight shot, we're on a 35. That's wider. You know, we're on a 28. So they're talking about, you know, a scene coming up where it's more dramatic or something like that. And they're talking about tight shots. Well, I know we're hopping to a 50 or a hundred or something. I'm having my second AC right there with the case, with the lenses, like we're on it. We're ready to go. So that's dealing with larger groups, at least for camera department side, because I'm not in production. So I'm not dealing with the whole of it. I'm mm -hmm. dealing with managing because pretty much as a first AC, I'm dealing with managing camera department. The DP, he shouldn't care. He shouldn't have to care about the department. He shouldn't. A lot of people think he's the head of the department. That doesn't mean he has to care about the department. He shouldn't have to manage it. I'm I'm kind of like the key grip, mm -hmm. you know, in the sense that I'm taking care of the department. The camot shouldn't have to care about it. None of them should have to care about it. I feel like it's my responsibility to care about it. For me to look at all the other ACs. And, you know, even maybe I'm not the only first AC. Maybe there's first AC A camera, first AC B camera. Then I'm communicating with the B camera first AC. And I'm like, you know, well, how are you managing your second ACs? How are you utilizing them? Like, how do you want to go about this? And I kind of like to respect how they work as well, just so we're in sync. 
me, I don't like to pull rank. I'd much <laughs> rather be in sync with another first AC. So if I'm first AC A camera and there's first AC B camera, one of the first things I like to ask is, how do you work? What's your preference on this? Like, what, like, yeah, like, how do you like to go about this situation? Rather than, of course, pulling rank and be like, this is how we're going to do it. No, like, I don't want to do that. And also that's sending a bad message to your team, right? Where it's yeah. like, oh, like, okay, this guy thinks he's king. Okay, cool. So, no, I don't want to pull rank. I want everything to be in sync. And what mm -hmm. matters is everything flows on set. Right. You want a flow. You want to have a rhythm, especially when you're working with a crew for like a couple of weeks or a month or a few months. If you're working for a few months, you know, you have to have a rhythm. And also, like, if you're only shooting a feature film for a week or two weeks, it matters. It's critical that you gain a rhythm ASAP. Like, usually what I see is we gain a rhythm on day two. Day one, you, you're getting to know each other. Like, a lot of these people, I, I meet them on day one. I have no clue what, who they are. Mm -hmm. But the, I pay attention to how they work on day one. Day two, that's where we start getting a rhythm. Yeah. Day one, it's kind of hard to get a rhythm. Yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's very possible, especially, I mean, honestly, when you've worked with them before. When you work with them before, easy. If you haven't, day two or sometimes day three especially if they're stubborn or hard-headed and they want to pull rank then it's like okay crap so i'm <laughs> here's a challenge on its own so i would say that is how i deal with larger groups okay what advice would you give to an aspiring um camera assistant oh boy so, yeah th see this is where i could talk for hours <laughs> um Someone who's inspiring to even just be a filmmaker or first AC. I mean, a lot of people, they don't know they want to be. I didn't know I, I wanted to be a first AC. I started <laughs> being a director of photography. Why? Because I was new. All I knew was like, A, I want to be a filmmaker. I watch old cinema. I watch Charlie Chaplin. I watch, you know, Captain Cabinet Dr. Um, Caligari. Ooh, I'm probably butchering some stuff. Um, de La Voyage de la Luna, the first narrative film ever made by the French, 1902, Nosferatu, um, yeah, uh, Voyage de la Luna, 1902, Nosferatu, 1922, sometimes I, you know, screw mm -hmm. that up, but anyways, old cinema, I learned so much from old cinema, so if you're inspiring to be a filmmaker, I would recommend to start from the beginning, see where we came from, because the first filmmakers were actually magicians. You know, they used filmmaking a part of their act, a part yeah. of their performance, you know, the magic lantern, stuff like that. Like, so a lot of it is illusion. Hollywood is an illusion. All the stuff we do in movies is an illusion. Green screening, rotoscoping, all this next gen, you know, technology, that's illusion advanced. Like all filmmaking is illusion. So we pull off a trick and we believe we make you guys believe in a world. We create that world and you guys believe in it, you know, so remember that come from that build a respect and an understanding of film where we came from, not to mention like at the level I'm at right now, I'm filming with like a lot of old school cats. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to them, they love it when I show an appreciation for film, for cinema cameras, for all this stuff. When I worked at uh, when I went to Panavision recently for the first time, which is any AC's dream. You know, I had no idea that would like before I went union, I would be able to go to Panavision 
Like that place is legendary. There's only like two locations that I know of. And I got to work with the Millennium DXL2 for a testing for a possible feature that's coming up in a few months. And like I got to like for the first time be in a black room, take out a magazine, put actual film in it, praying to God I don't screw it up because that's going to cost someone $300 for that film if I expose it. <laughs> so going through this process, you know, something that like back in the day, filmmakers had to go through. Now we don't need to because we sh every almost everything's on digital. Right. Because film is becoming niche. Is it going away? No. The film will never go away. It won't. But it's definitely niche, right? Digital mm -hmm. is so easy. It's efficient. So everything's shot on, almost everything's shot on digital. And then if you're fortunate enough to be a Tarantino, you're not only shooting on film, you're shooting on 70 millimeter film, right? Yeah. So you're shooting on like the best of the film or even Christopher Nolan, who's like inventing cameras at this point to shoot what he wants to shoot, you know? Um, his late, his newest film coming out, Oppenheimer, um, which I'm probably also destroying as well because my brain's not in the right place. But like literally, he's he believes in practical effects. He's doing an explosion that's all practical effects. So like do your research, gain, read magazines. Like a lot of this stuff to gain appreciation of being a filmmaker, half of it is onset, half of it is offset. Actually, probably most of it is offset when you're starting off. Read, watch movies, watch things that inspire you, you know? Like, look at a shot. If you want to be in camera department, look at shots. Wonder how they got that shot. Do research on how they got that shot. You know, that's the only way to find out. That's the only way to gain, like, holy crap, I didn't know you could do that. Like, you know, um, subscribe to American Cinematographer. Get their magazine. They go through a bunch of ways of how they get the shot for that movie and get the shot for this movie and you're hearing all these cinematographers, BSC, ASC members like around the world talking about what inspired them to do this scene and that scene. And I mean, even Skyfall, James Bond, that's one of my favorites, you know, mm -hmm. like with the lighting setups and everything like that. Just like, like, do your research, like get to know who are the top leading cinematographers. What are they doing? How are they innovating? Like, how are they getting these shots? So... Like I said, I could talk for hours. I'm trying to keep it short, but like watch movies, hop on set. Like if you're trying to get your start, hop on a set. It doesn't matter what set you start off on to when you're new, when you're young and you're hungry, doesn't matter what set. There are a lot of people doing things wrong. Like I, <laughs> like if I was to go back and work on the sets that I worked on that had like no budget, people yeah. were filming with what they got. People were doing things wrong left and right. But it was cool because you got... Uh, what I love most about that was people just fell in love with making movies. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I feel like tapers off for some and that they lose the more they go into the film industry and they become more professional. And like, I see a lot of this in the union stuff I see in LA, like the bigger stuff, mm -hmm. it becomes way more business. And I had to get used to it. I'm still getting used to it because it feels like a lot of the passion is gone and it, it's not necessarily gone. It just changes. Um, so people, a lot of people are still passionate about what they shoot. It just changes. A lot of people are more there for, some people are there for business. Some people yeah. don't care that they're shooting a movie. They don't care that they're working on whatever they're working on. You know, when I worked at Fox Searchlight Studios and some of the people were there just setting up lights and they could care less. They were smoking a cigarette, playing on their phone. They don't care that they're there. While other people, you know, I, I, th I look at them and I think of the other people who would kill 
to be in their shoes, right? Yeah. The other people who would be like, dude, you're working on this. You're working with Christopher Nolan. You're working on, on the, all these movies. And it's like, I would kill to be in your shoes. But like, it goes back and forth, right? I don't want to, I don't want to be vague because it's not just one thing. Right. Some people, it is just business. Some people, it is passion that drove them there. Like me, I started from the bottom. I, a lot of people in the film industry, they're in the film industry because it's a family thing. Mm-hmm. They got in because they are the son or daughter of so-and-so who is in the film industry. And they got, like for my children, if I ever have kids, they have an in. Because mm-hmm. I've worked so hard to gain a reputation for where I'm at right now in the film industry that, look, I can invite you to go meet so-and-so. I have a line producer you can meet, right? Mm-hmm. They're not starting from zero. I started from zero. I'm still working super hard and busting my culo to get to where I need to be in the film industry. And, you know, like, and a lot of people get down on themselves too. Right. And you Mm -hmm. shouldn't, you shouldn't, you don't fail until you stop when you stop. That's when you fail. So a lot of people can't get over the fact, like I can totally be like, well, I'm in, I'm coming, coming up towards my mid thirties and I'm at where I'm at. So there's some people in their twenties and they are way farther ahead than I am. And some people let that to get to their heads. And yeah. obviously you can't. You're that's called you're gonna self-destruct if you do that. You can't do that. You literally, your best challenge is yourself from yesterday. That's yes. always what I think. So just compare yourself with who you are. Don't compare yourself with others. So I feel like that's a good thing for a beginner filmmaker as well. And even even later on. And then uh, workshops, workshops are great. If you're new to the film industry, um, network, network, like crazy talk to people like networking is huge. Our film and the film industry is so sociological. People are hiring their friends. Like I said before, I had drinks with a producer and he got drunk. I got drunk. I'm being honest. Like I'm a realist. We got drunk. And he literally at the end of the night was like, I want you to work on my movie. <laughs> like literally it was that. So sometimes it's that. And if you're not a drinker, that's fine. Find your group, find your niche, find who you want to settle in with. Find your film family is what I call it. Yeah. Like Tarantino, he hires the same people. Nolan, he hires the same people. It's cause people like Tim Burton, Tim Burton hires the same people. There's a reason. I pay attention to patterns. It's good to pay attention to patterns. People hire the same people. Get in with a, if you're a camera assistant, get in with a camera operator, get in with a director of photography, have them like you, buy them a coffee, buy them drinks, chill, get to know them. Um, Like invest in them, Uh, get to a position where they're investing in you. A lot of people get ahead in the film industry because people take them under their wing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I have a couple of people. I have a camera operator who's um, local 600. Um, not going to say names, of course, but he's worked on Joker. He's worked on a lot of bunch of stuff. He's done. Um, he shot a lot of the plates. A plates is shooting the background that they use in VFX. Um, and they have, you know, the main actors in a studio in a car and they put the plate in the background and that's a moving background. Like uh, a lot of people don't know, like in Joker, there's plates everywhere so when he's in the bus 
the whole background while they're on a bridge, the bridge in the background while they're on a bus, that's a plate that doesn't exist. That's not real. Like I said, it's all an illusion. Yeah. So even when he's on uh, the subway in Joker, that background, that's a plate that doesn't exist. They're not really in a subway. They're in a studio. And that subway train is in a studio. So it's a controlled environment. So the DP can light the scene how he wants to. He has more control. In a studio, you have more control over the lighting, effects, a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. So on, when you're on location, it can kind of restrict you a bit. So without going on a tangent, I'm avoiding it. But yeah, so inspire yourself. Read, do research, watch your favorite movies. Get inspired depending on what you want to be. And what you want to be doesn't necessarily mean that's where you're going to land. Right. So I started out as a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. I started shooting movies. I picked up camera. I got creative. I put my camera in a fridge with the T3i. I took advantage of the monitor and flipped it back so I could get the perfect shot that I wanted without the use of a a wireless monitor. I Mm -hmm. would close the door. The female actress, the lead actress would open up the door and like look in the fridge and you know, she was in the shot and then she closed the door. So it was a great shot. It was so mm-hmm. simple, but it was a great shot. I love that <laughs> shot. It was so simple, though. So try different things like there's nothing restricting you. The world is not restricting you. Your only restriction is yourself and your creativity. Think outside the box, watch movies, do research, find out how they pulled certain shots. Like that's what I would say is a good start Yeah. on becoming a filmmaker. Oh, and school? School's not bad. I went to college. It was great for networking and meeting some people, but it's so funny because where I'm at right now, my school really hasn't done too much to get me here. Honestly, straight up. Like a lot of people, it's like, oh, do I have to go to school to be a filmmaker? I'm not going to say don't go to school, Mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is you could totally do YouTube college. You could go like when I started years back, like 10 years back, we had something called Film Riot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know Film Riot. And like it was, um, I forget his name, but he uh, graduated from Full Sail University. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of VFX stuff. He did a lot of cool stuff. And that was inspiring to me when I was starting off. I watched Film Riot on YouTube. I would say I would recommend hop on YouTube now. Watch stuff. Uh, there's mm-hmm. so many videographers and creators. Doesn't mean they're doing it right. Doesn't mean don't take it for, you know, take it with a pinch of salt of what people do, because a lot of what people do, there's like videographer habits and then there's cinematographer old school. They've been doing it for 40 plus years habits. Right. Mm-hmm. So take everything with a grain of salt. Not everything is a lot of people do stuff based on preference. But I would say hop on YouTube do YouTube college. Go to college if you want to, but it's not necessary. I've never had anyone ask me for my resume. Whenever I apply for a job, for a film, any of my bosses, they could care less if I graduated from college. Mm -hmm. They just care of what I know. How long have you been on set? What have you done? They love hearing that I've been up in a condor. They love hearing that I've worked G&E. Like you're an AC. You've done G&E work. You've worked as a grip and electric. Like be on set work all these positions. I've been a production assistant. Being a production assistant got me literally in so many amazing opportunities. Get on set, be a PA. It doesn't matter. Like if it's a decently high budget, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Get your ass on set or get your booty on set. (laughs) (laughs) Get your booty on set. Um, 
But yes, get your booty on set, be a production assistant. That's the only way how I got to work with Nicole Kidman, uh, Nicolas Cage. I was a production assistant. Mm-hmm. I was at my lockup. I got to talk to Nicolas Cage. I was like, sir, it's an honor to work on your movie. And that's how I got to know as Nicolas Cage is one of the coolest people I've ever worked with. <laughs> um, he was so down to earth. He was so nice. And it's a it's a gamble, right? Yeah, it's a gamble. You don't know what actor is going to be nice, who's going to be terrifying, who's not who they seem. So Nicolas Cage is still at the top of my list where I was like, Mr. Cage, it's an honor working on one of your movies. I all of us, we've all grown up with movies where we love Nicolas Cage. And he was like, it is it means so much to me to hear that coming from you. I was like, whoa. And he kept talking, too. I was like, whoa, this guy is super nice. And yeah, Nicole Kidman and a bunch of others. But I. Literally, that's by being hungry. Mm-hmm. Like I could have been like, I'm, a, I'm only going to take jobs where I'm only a camera assistant. Now I'm restricting myself, right? right. Now I'm restricting myself. Now I'm only going to take jobs where I'm only an AC. Sometimes you have to be a PA to get in the situation to meet a certain person you were destined to meet. And then they find out you're an AC. You're like, wait, why are you PAing? You're an AC? Can I see your stuff? You know, then you you pull out the business card, you show them your YouTube, you show them whatever you worked on. They're like, oh, you've done some stuff. Yeah. Like be hungry, get on things, work, meet people, network. That I'm going to stop myself there. That is a great way to start as a filmmaker in the industry right there and be around a rental store. Like if you want to work in camera and G&E anywhere that deals with the equipment, work around a rental shop, like whatever city you're in right now. Hop on Google, look up the nearest rental shop, go there today, introduce yourself, talk to people, tell them that you want to be in the film industry. How should I start? Are you looking for employees? Are you looking for help? Do you need help around the place? You know, that is a great dude. I was driving trucks like, oh, my God, it was great. Some of the best times I ever had was starting in Cincinnati and working for Midwest Grip and Lighting. That got me around the gear. They gave me my own office. They looked at me. They invested in me. I got to meet everyone in the industry in that area because of them. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Thank you for thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. If you have any interest in the film industry or working to be an author, come listen to us each month as we interview professionals to better understand the inner workings. Keep up to date on our Twitter feed as to whom we'll interview next, and uh, we hope you stay tuned.